This is The Boys Podcast on TV Podcast Industries. We're talking about Season 1, Episode 8, The Finale. You found me. I'm scared of you. What? I said I'm scared. Of? Of you. I'm scared of you. Thank you. Thank you for finally being honest. Welcome back, boys and girls, to TV Podcast Industries. It's Wednesday. It's the finale of The Boys, Season 1, Episode 8. You found me. I'm one of your hosts, Derek. Hi there, boys and girls. I am one of your other hosts, John. And rounding out the star-spangled banners of the podcast industries, I am Chris. Welcome back, everyone. We've gotten to the end of Season 1 of The Boys. And all I can say is I'm ready for Season 2 right now. But uh, that ending with a massive cliffhanger just sets yeah, you up absolutely. for it. Well, we're going to see this this episode next week. But no, we're not going to see it until next year, unfortunately. This was not what I was expecting. But I have to say, I absolutely loved this episode. Dare I say it? Um, spoiler for my review uh, and rating. I think this is one of the best final episodes I've seen in a while. Mm. Because... It still had a lot going on. It's not like with the Marvel Netflix where they kind of put it in the penultimate and then it's kind of more wrap up y. This kind of felt like it was chugging away all to the end. And as you say, effectively it's chugging into um season two. So the sooner season two comes out, the better. Well, thanks very much for joining us, boys and girls. That's our review of the finale of the policy. <laughs> <laughs> That's sorry, it was a spoiler filled one. <laughs> But thanks very much for joining us. We've got loads more to discuss about the episodes. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast over at tvpodcastindustries.com. The boys' feed will obviously be going silent until uh, season two starts coming out next year. So make sure you subscribe to the full podcast to get everything we're covering. We're still covering Pennyworth every Monday. And we'll have a bunch of new shows coming up later on in the year. Just got to plan out exactly what they're going to be. But uh, make sure you stay subscribed over there. We also want to hear your thoughts. I know it's the last episode, but we'd love to hear your thoughts on the full season. You may not get them into the podcast, of course, but we'll absolutely respond to you. You can email us at feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com or you can join us over on our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash tvpodcastindustries to discuss anything that we're talking about uh, on any of the shows that we're covering. Yes, fellow boys and girls, get over there and leave the feedback. It's always great to hear your thoughts. Derek, speaking of thoughts, speaking of this final episode, you found me. What did you find out about the writer and director for this episode. Nothing really new. We have the writer's room and we have the showrunner for the show involved in this final episode. Uh, the episode was written by Rebecca Sonnenshine and Anne Confort soldiers uh, Anne wrote episode five of the show, uh, Good for the Soul, and Rebecca wrote episode six, The Innocence. Um, interestingly, because I always say this on our Marvel shows, when we have a showrunner, I always say... A, a true mark of the show is to have them involved in the finale, the writer of the finale. Eric Kripke is very well known as a writer. He wrote so many episodes of, of uh, Supernatural. He's the showrunner for this show. He didn't write the final episode, but he did direct it. He's directing the finale. He only has about five directing credits in the past, so he's obviously chosen to go on to the final and guide the final episode of the show, which I just think is quite interesting uh, to have him, normally a writer, directing the final episode, but still involved uh, in the final episode as well. So yeah, cool. great stuff. Um, I, I thought this was really... Really good episode, as I said, so I can't wait to get into it. Mm -hmm. Well, John, do you want to tell them what they gave us with your synopsis for the episode? Sure. The deal is off and the boys are on the run. 
The Pentagon has classified Compound V as top secret. Frenchie, Mother's Milk, Huey Campbell, Kimiko, and Billy Butcher are thrown to the wolves, or should I say soups, by the CIA, and the Defense Department signs up for the seven. On his first mission, Homelander recovers a sample of V from a jihadist operation in Syria, showing them all that supervillains now exist. As Butcher and Huey attempt a final Hail Mary, they drop in on Mallory for more intel on Vought. In the meantime, the remaining boys are picked up by the feds. Discovering a possible chink to exploit between Madeline Stilwell and Homelander, Butcher goes after Stilwell as Huey goes and rescues the boys with the help from Starlight, who realises who she needs to be, an actual superhero. At Stilwell's home, Butcher takes her hostage strapped with explosives to bait Homelander, but an earlier slip of the tongue puts a different spin on the hostage situation as Homelander knows the truth about Becca and his baby. He confirmed his suspicions by literally squeezing the truth out of Vogelbaum. To Butcher's surprise, his advantage goes as Homelander kills Stilwell by laser beam to the eyes. Homelander, however, saves Butcher from his what-the-hell suicide explosion moment and takes him to a home where Becca has been raising Homelander's son in secret, stunning both Butcher and Becca. Yes, this was a mic drop, dare I say it, for the final episodes of The Boys. Lots to be uh, considered and lots for season two to explore here. Yeah. Um, so yeah, this was... Uh, this was a surprise not only to Billy Butcher, dare I say it, but to me. <laughs> and dare I say it, a surprising turn of events for Homelander, who seems to be um, quite happy that he is a father here. Um, so interesting. Yeah, well, he's definitely a dad. <laughs> he's definitely fathered a son. I'm still afraid anyone could be a dad and ever could be a father. I don't know whether I'd trust him with a puppy, let alone a child. <laughs> so not sure whether Becca should be letting him in through the door to take care of the son. You know, we've seen what happened to the last person that he loved when she told him a slight white lie. Well, that's um, true. To protect him. So maybe we don't want to have him involved in the life of, uh, of a child. First off, before we get into our points, well done, John. That's eight episodes of The Boys that you've done the synopsis for. I want to say well done because the synopses for these shows are so much more difficult than our normal ones where we talk about five big points going Going through every single point of the episode these ones are much more you have to give the full start middle and end for the show so well done thanks john absolutely ham sandwich ham sandwich synopsis mm, ham sandwiches before we all get too hungry let's get into our moments for the episode as we've been doing all season we're going to talk about our boys moment which is our protagonist we're going to talk about our seven moment which is our antagonist moment and we're going to talk about any other outstanding moment that we haven't talked about before basically or anything that stood out to us about the show john do you want to kick us off with your protagonist moment for the episode Yes, mine is quite a little uh, one, really. It is cage fight or cage heart to heart. I love the fact that Frenchie and Mother's Milk are locked up together after they've been captured at the motel. They've got nowhere to go. And of course, you know, their their tit for tat conversations have been a little incendiary. You know, both are trying to one up the other. Certainly Mother's Milk has been, um, you know, dismissive of Frenchie's relationship with Kimiko. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I like the fact that we have in this sort of confined environment, the two of them, um, just kind of understanding one another. I, I liked it. Um, I, I thought it was a, a nice moment where Mother's Milk really kind of gets, um, the female here. And Frenchie is like, Oh, so you do know her name. Mm. Um, you know, and actually when they escape, he is the one to go after and rescue, um, her. 
after Frenchie has been uh, wounded. Um, and so, you know, again, it, it's this bonding moment between the two, uh, which I really like. And I, I like how Mother's Milk describes why he tried to keep his daughter and uh, his wife separated from this, completely out of this picture. And I thought it was a nice little wrap-up to here, you know, so that Frenchie understands why, you know, why didn't we know about his, his daughter? And it was even though he's he's messed up, screwed it up, really, because now they're really deeply involved in it. Mm-hmm. You know, his intention was always to kind of keep them separate from, from this. I yeah. suppose in the same way that Frenchie tried to do that with Cherie to some extent, mm-hmm. at least with uh, him working with Billy Butcher, uh, Mother's Milk and Huey, you know, he didn't involve Cherie, um, although I don't know where their relationship actually is now. I suspect it's purely professional uh, rather than... Um, something closer, even though it was kind of, you know, my petit croissant uh, and things like that between the two of them. Um, there, there was a little bit of uh, sort of love or understanding, at least, you know? You know, I do want to stand up for French and say he never called anyone a petit croissant. There's a petit core, my love, my yeah, heart, yeah. Uh, he says a few times. <laughs> but that was about that, that was about the female as well. So, uh, yeah, Sherry is, is, the, is the only thing he said to her in a loving way. And she wanted him to come back, but he has now found the female. Uh, the only conversation we've really had about, the, about his type of relationships generally is that he'll kind of hook up with any woman as he goes he doesn't really see himself as being tied down but now in this show yeah. it seems like towards the end of the series we feel like he has found a partner in uh in Kamiko. So, yeah definitely yeah. i think another thing about this cage is just with huey coming to the rescue as well and um, <laughs> because there is that wonderful establishing shot of him going back to the motel even though he knows just so he can get captured mm-hmm. uh, and and we see the SWAT team kind of rugby tackle him <laughs> to the ground from afar but then he comes in uh, and just Frenchy there saying never before has a man thrown away so much for so little uh, <laughs> your futile gesture is magnifique yeah you know yeah. as then Mother's Milk smacks it gives him a right hook uh-huh. to get his bridge out of his mouth so that he can pick the lock um, have, so i did like that a i lot. have this written in my notes <laughs> as the retainer to break out of the container <laughs> one retainer to save them all yeah exactly <laughs> it's fantastic because it does really it does really speak of like nerdy teenage Huey getting his retainer back in his mouth to save the heroes basically so yeah i, I really like that um and i i do like uh huey firing the gun to give mother's milk cover as he goes to rescue um the female and he's just like i'm sorry i'm sorry i'm sorry that, oh that was the best i'm <laughs> sorry so- i'm sorry i'm sorry <laughs> just like shouting consistently over and just spraying the bullets it's it's brilliant. Uh, I don't think he actually hits anybody. I think his covering fire is genuinely one, covering fire. Yeah, but I think that's definitely a mistake. He's not really looking and certainly doesn't have the training uh, to do it. So Well, and really he comes good. back down and he's like, can you reload for me? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> bullets and the Frenchie there reloading for him and he's like, back up again. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's what I would be like, actually. Absolutely. Chris, I think this kind of takes it to your protagonist moment as well, does it? It does. My kind of protagonist moment as a whole is kind of three parts. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm taking a bit of a. <laughs> it's the final episode where three points moment. means nine points. <laughs> <laughs> yes, my 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 part one of nine. Uh, no, uh, it's Annie and Huey. Mm-hmm. So just how we where we end up like from the beginning of this episode to the end of this episode, where how they're relationship uh there and i don't mean in a, a wink wink nudge nudge type of way i mean as in general their their 
potential friendship or wherever this is going. Um, so we do see Huey go to the church mm-hmm. um, and not to get married. Um, he goes there and he, cause he remembers that. And he says like she would, when she was having tough times, she'd go and listen to the choir practice. Mm-hmm. And then we get this beautiful fight scene and a non choreographed fight scene um, outside on the lawn where it's essentially why did, Annie's point is, why did you think even coming to me would be this? And here he is, you're a superhero. I was genuinely thinking, Chris, I was wondering whether the choir had started a big fight and it was cut and I didn't see it in the episode. It was like this beautiful (laughs) fight scene outside the church. (laughs) You mean the argument? Okay, great. (laughs) Yes. The the, the verbal sparring, if you will. Yeah. Versus uh, the, the the choir battle. Mm-hmm. I would I would actually pay to see that. <laughs> I think they did that in Kingsman, didn't they? The big, uh, yes. big battle in the church. <laughs> and that was actually an amazing scene it was. in Kingsman. Yeah, sorry. Anyway, back into the boys. Uh, yeah, so we do get that that fantastic scene, and just enough of a scene, enough said that Huey has planted the seed of doubt mm-hmm. in uh, Annie. Yeah. Because next when we see her, she's uh, at the ball party and she's in the new costume. Mm-hmm. Um, she's essentially um, given up and just accepting of the, the seven life. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't want to get into the Queen Maeve pep talk. Um, so the next we do see her is in the warehouse where she basically saves Huey, Frenchie, Mother's Milk, and the female. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a great, very cool scene. Yeah, uh, like It was just the great flashing visual. of the lights, yeah. the slow-mo, showing that she is a pretty much a badass superhero when she wants to be. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And then for me, the end is where she sacrifices herself. She stays mm-hmm. with A-Train so that Huey can leave. Yeah. Absolutely. But uh, part of me, I like this because she saw that Huey, she sees that Huey is still human. Mm-hmm. So this, I think, is the potentially the kindling of the, the romance again for season two. Yeah, perhaps. Um... That he didn't want to just kill the person who wanted to kill him. He couldn't. So he left. He didn't want to leave. He would have sacrificed himself. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I really like that discussion that they have uh, outside the church, particularly. I love that you do see that moment where Annie's kind of going, why would I help you? And it's not threatening. It is almost saying, give me a reason and I'll make my decision, basically. But she doesn't. As you say, she goes to this party and uh, and gets drunk and is dressed up in the uniform. She is going down that path that Queen Maeve had gone down in the past. So, um, so I do, I really like that, you know, Huey does still try to convince her that that he wants her to help her telling him that she doesn't even remember the last time she actually saved someone and him going, well, you saved me. There was a moment when I thought my life was over, but the, when you went out and had a, a game of bowling with me, you saved yeah. my life. You know, yeah. I think that's a lovely moment between the two of them. I think, I think what's good about that moment outside the church as well is that, you know, Huey has just had a fairly big kind of um, split up actually with Billy Butcher here mm-hmm. as well, because, you know, Billy goes, well, goodbye, Huey. Um, you know, see you uh it, it's it's finished you know because Huey's had this confrontation he goes like then what what happens when we we get homelander and, and Stillwell? you know is becca gonna come back 
uh, from the dead. Robin 2, it's just going to be more of the same, you know, violence and bloodshed. And mm-hmm. it's like, that's where they split. And then he, you know, the others he wants to rescue and the only other person he can at this moment, it's not his dad, obviously, uh, but it's Annie. And I, I like the fact that, uh, you know, Huey, when he says, well, Vought's up to some evil stuff, it's your job, you're a superhero, and then that you save me. It's coming from that place where he's effectively just cut off his link with, with Billy Butcher. Yeah. And, um, and also I think the great thing is that it, it's that start of, as you say, Chris, um, even though, uh, with, with, with Queen Maeve, this persuasion, uh, this realization from Starlight that the reason why she wanted to be a superhero is being lost. And she gets that with her flirting, uh, with the, the, the Navy captain mm-hmm. uh, at, at the, at the Vought corporate event celebrating this defense budget. And, um, and, you know, this is where she realizes what she wants to be is a superhero that helps people. And this is what she does. As you say, she goes in for, um, for the save and ultimately then as any good superhero the sacrifice uh where she stays behind i and i like that because i did think that huey was going to do it i thought there was going to be that moment where huey rescues a train and maybe it would be all right but i like that she kind of comes in and says well he will always come after you yeah um i thought that was kind of interesting little insight into a train because i didn't really think that he would be like that to some extent but he is hurting because of popclaw uh, you know he does say ultimately whilst he did kill her um that he still thinks it's huey so he's always going to come after him he's going to be relentless so she stays back to 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 save um a train mm-hmm. i presume or maybe his little wee hamster heart uh, ain't going to be able to survive until the the ambulance gets there. Well, maybe, yeah, yeah. That's kind of a, another one of the cliffhangers for the episode as well. Yeah. 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 Um, my protagonist moment for the episode is really just the meeting of Billy and Mallory. We've seen them in flashback before, but seeing Mallory now, who seemed like a very strong character when she effectively set Billy on this path of becoming the leader of the boys in the past, she's now slightly broken or pretty broken i suppose she's yeah. saying that her her grandchildren were set on fire and, and burnt to ashes by lamplighter um because of their last mission effectively and she now has just gone to bird watching because the choices were either be an alcoholic or go bird watching and she'd rather <laughs> bird watch um, i do like these these moments where she's not giving billy leeway here billy's basically coming to her and going trying to kind of cash in as you'd see in so many of those movies i just need you back out of retirement for one last job kind of thing and she's going i'm not coming back out of retirement i'll give you some information and whatever you do with it you do with it, but only if you promise never ever to come back to me. So we're not looking for a season two where Mallory is back on the team again. Um, this is supposed to be her saying, that's it, I'm out. As long as you take this information and get off my property, basically. So uh, I kind of like that. Uh, the information she gives as well, I love how pointedly yeah. she puts it. She says that if you're looking for a way to take down Homelander, Madeline Stilwell is involved with him somehow in a very weird way. He may not, <laughs> he may not care for her very much. But she'll know what it is that he does care about is the whole sentence that she puts together and gives over to Billy, you know? So I really like that. It's not the usual thing of, in fact, actually Billy takes it the usual way. He thinks that the way to kill, to get at Homelander is to go through Madeline. But Mallory's not convinced of that, which I think is interesting. Well, uh, it's, I, I think it's a really nice way that she puts it. She goes, uh, Madeline Stillwell and her relationship with Homelander is weird and complicated. Mm-hmm. 
And it's like uh, an afterthought, and it reminded me of the X-Files, actually. As she goes, hard to quantify. Right. Uh, like, the, you can't just do a simple analysis on what it is about them. So all she can say is that it's strange, and she's his account holder, but as an account holder, there's something additional here that, you know, her sources say about, but it's it's difficult to fully know. Is it a mother-son thing and, and all this? And yes... Billy Butcher um, takes that, that there's a, a romantic relationship here and tries to leverage that just as that effectively breaks down. But um, I thought um, Mallory with Huey and Billy was great. Um, I, I did. I, I loved the kind of just the bird watching element of it. Uh, but I, I liked the kind of uh, anger in Billy Butcher saying, you know, you trained me up and pointed me at Homelander uh, like a howitzer. And, and he's still that guided missile that she set off and um, but she's she, that doesn't phase her she doesn't feel it, it looks like she doesn't feel any remorse for for doing that mm. because ultimately her grandkids got fried by lamplighter because of the last mission so i i like that kind of dynamic and i like that she kind of just pointedly looks at Huey and she goes Going after these guys, you know, is not going to end up in, in glory and valor and honor. It will just mean that you retire to do bird watching. Mm-hmm. Um, if you want to do that. Um, and it's like, you know, this is her seclusion. Uh, this is her equivalent to the laboratory that Homelander had to be in for the first half of his life. She's in this. <laughs> this confined laboratory exactly. of bird watching for the rest of her life yeah. uh, after retirement. And I, I like how that kind of marries up. But um, yeah, I thought it was a great little uh, moment. Yeah. It really stood out to me. Absolutely. Yeah, that's the reason why I chose it as, as my protagonist moment is because this is the three generations of the boys, effectively. This is Mallory who took on Billy and turned him into a living weapon, effectively. And we have Huey, who we've seen earlier on in the episode, has almost been turned into a living weapon by Billy. We have the old leader of the group giving the youngest, newest member of the group some advice based on all of her history. Get out of the group as fast as possible, kind of the advice yeah. that she gives. So I really do like that. I think it's really cool. As a whole, this scene for me just screamed the comic books because mm-hmm. it's very cool. much one of the things and it's is good at, mm-hmm. which is that kind of deep conversations, which says so much, but happens very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, just seeing Mallory, like, I'm not coming back out into this fight, yeah. hearing the alcoholism, the lamplighter, the, the discussions where we've just given enough, which I, I, I think they'll jump into more. Yeah, I think we'll get that um, as a scene. I think we'll see it on screen uh, in season yes. two at some point. Yeah. Um, as a whole, I completely agree with you. I think this is... Just as you said, it's the the old for the old guard, mm-hmm. the meet the current guard and the new guard coming yeah. in. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, that's it for our protagonist moment, John. Do you want to take us into our seven antagonist moments? That makes it sound like we have seven antagonist moments. It <laughs> we does. Have, we have one each. John, what's your antagonist moment? Mine is the postcoital slip of the tongue from Madeline Stillwell. Mm. Um. I suppose the lead up to all of this was massively creepy. Um, and, uh, having to restrain Homelander from presumably, um, a deathly geezer like ejaculation, uh, is something, but I, it was just creepy. Um, where he's like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Um, and she's like, no, th- th- this is fine. You, you did good. Uh, was, 
amazingly done and creepily um, put on, on the TV. And I, I thought, you know, this is ultimately what Mallory is talking about that is unquantifiable because, yes, we, we don't want to quantify what's going mm-hmm. on here at, at all. I certainly don't want to be crude about it, but absolutely to kind of link into what you just said a second ago, I absolutely thought this was the moment that Madeline Stilwell was going to die in a really gruesome scene i'm not going to go any cruder than that you can probably guess what i thought was going to happen yeah um yeah it's well, like the old faithful exploding exactly isn't so, it yes. in, in yellowstone park <laughs> yeah um you kind of thought that maybe madeline Silwell would actually reach heaven in a moment maybe. um after <laughs> uh, after the event but i think for me it was that post-coital slip of the tongue i thought that was really nicely done you've got homelander sort of almost like a baby uh, in her lap mm-hmm. sort of rubbing his head around her her, her belly and, and all that and it, it it's all seems very nice but then she makes her final mistake by giving a different story to the the becker incident uh than vogelbaum which is um she talks about her miscarrying rather than dying in childbirth mm-hmm. and the the child making it and I, I think the reason why I picked this was because, again, I thought Homelander was fantastic here, um, where the head just turns and he says yes in that, you know, he, he's just had this moment where he's saying, don't lie to me, no more secrets. And she's just messed up with her story. Yeah. Um, and in, in answering it, Stillwell is asking, is everything okay? You know, are we all fine, back to normal? And he turns around, yes, just as the lie has been said. And that, to me, was um, priceless uh, timing. Uh, the actual shot on Homelander. And again, just simply put, uh, fantastic. Mm-hmm. I, I really liked it. Yeah. So, yeah, that slip of the tongue, which effectively drives so much of... Um, Homelander and now Billy Butcher to the end of this episode, uh, I thought was really nicely done. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that perfectly leads me into my kind of uh, moment, which is Stillwell's death. Mm, yeah. Um, so without getting too much into it, we obviously um, Butcher kidnaps Stillwell um, in her own home. So um, home napping, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Homelander is called and brought there. And we get this fantastic scene, which is a standoff of Stillwell being in a body full, a body's vest of C4. Um, Butcher has the dead man switch and Homelander arrives and creepily brings down the baby. Yeah. Um, <laughs> There's many which, creepy things in this scene. And I think one of the most creepy is when he's holding Teddy, the baby in his arms and, and, eventually puts it down and turns around to Madeline and says, you care about that baby more than me and expects the answer from her to be, no, I care about you more than my own child. Like it's creepy as hell. Like that moment earlier on when he's in her lap and she's saying to him, you know, don't worry, it's all okay. Is really motherly. Yeah. And he seems to have had these problems all the way through the years. That's what Vogelbaum was talking about him being the biggest failure, because if he's ever put in a situation with a motherly figure, he takes it way too far. He's killed many of them in the past. And it seems with Stillwell, the other motherly figure in his life, he's sleeping with her. So, um, or on occasion, I suppose. So these scenes here are totally creepy because you really don't know where it's going to go with Homelander. Yeah. Well, let's not dwell on the, the super creepy, um, there's my good boy moment. Mm-hmm. Oh, 
Uh, each each to their own fetish, but that's the one never I never understood. Way too far. Uh, yeah. Anyway, we get this all culminates in Homelander slowly, slightly losing his mind, uh, admitting that he's con- he he confronted uh, Vogelbaum mm. after Stillwell's slip, a postcoital slip of the tongue. Yeah. Um, and the, basically tortured it out of, um, okay. tortured the truth out of Vogelbaum. Yeah. Um, we don't know was it torture to death, but we can make assumptions. Mm-hmm. Um, and now he Thanks knows squeezed. the truth. Thanks, squeezed, yeah, squeezed it. Yeah, out. I, I got the impression yeah. that he he squeezed him till he screamed yeah. and then exploded. I feel yes. like sadly we won't see uh, John Doman back next <laughs> no. season, unfortunately. Um, I, I have to just give a bit of credit for the behind the scenes. Uh, discussion on this from Eric Kripke where he specifically points out how good Carl Urban is in this scene because you may not notice how good he is he's basically sitting in the background watching these two people who are effectively the main villains of the show they're fighting it out between the two of them and he is uh, he's hardly saying anything just letting it all play out that was a total choice of Carl Urban's he asked for less and less lines in that scene so he didn't interrupt this battle between these two characters. And I think that's really interesting. Yeah, that's, uh, that's an interesting choice. And and it's one that works because when, when it has all played out and you move back to Billy Butcher, Mm -hmm. there's a completely different dynamic there. And Homelander himself says, so what's your play now? Yeah. You know, uh, so it's, it's, yeah, that's a really good one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And before I even talk about the titular death of Stillwell, I do want to, on that note, talk about how great the cinematography was in these scenes. Mm-hmm. The, the framing of the shadow on Butcher's face. Um, yeah. And yeah. just, it was fantastic. The background lighting mm-hmm. on Stillwell. Um, it was just, because it just it was just what well, was supposed to be, like the moonlight coming through. Yeah. Or at least just a white light. Um, but it was just the way it was framed. It was just fantastic. Mm-hmm. Anyway, let's bring it to the, the actual main point, which is Stillwell's death, which I did not see coming. There you go. The reason <laughs> I say this is because literally Stillwell in the comic books is alive until the at the end of the very last episode of The Boys, really? the issue of The Boys. Like, he goes all the way through. He's alive to the end. Yeah, Stillwell is a man in the comic books. We have never talked ah, about that. Okay. <laughs> okay, so this relationship between Homelander and Stillwell in the comic books is probably not non-existence? Exactly, okay. yes. <laughs> I can see yeah, why that would this be very is all, confusing. <laughs> this is all made for TV. Right. Um, yeah, God, sorry. I failed, I failed the city. <laughs> I have failed this city of comic books. Um, just the podcast, Chris. Just the podcast. You, not no, the whole no, you failed Chris's corner. Yeah. The podcast yeah. within a podcast. <laughs> right, I'm gonna lose my. I'm gonna lose my. We're gonna end. I don't know what we're gonna get. John's janitorial. John. <laughs> <laughs> the, the podcast within a podcast within a podcast. No, John's jolly jamboree. Thank you. There oh, there we go. That's much better. Okay. John's been thinking about this for weeks. I have. Yeah. <laughs> You're fired, Chris. <laughs> so, sorry, yes, Stillwell is a man in the comic books. Okay. Um, uh, there is no uh, Homelander-Stillwell relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, that is uh, made for TV. Um, and Stillwell makes it to the very final issue um, at the very, very end of the run of the boys. Interesting. Um, okay. So I was shocked 
mm-hmm. when this happened, um, especially how it happened. Absolutely. So that's I didn't see or think that Homelander would when he was so close to her. Mm-hmm. I thought he'd just inflict some pain, you know, because he said it's like that. You see, all would see those. Psychos and they they pluck the wings off the fly or mm-hmm. stuff like that. You always hear about that. That's the way I kind of envisioned Homelander. Right. But he's so far gone on this point and feels so betrayed um, in his mind that she lied and that lo- loves Teddy more than him. Yeah. He just burns her. But it's the moment that he makes a choice as well. The actual lines that she says to him just beforehand is, I'm scared. And he goes, of what? And she goes, I'm scared of you. And he says, well, thank you for being honest. And then burns her eye sockets yeah. out and kills her. Like, is she, well, she was right to be scared, I guess, is, is the meaning of that moment. She was absolutely right to be scared of him. But she basically did most of the things she's done out of fear of how he would react. We heard that over and over again. And we hear multiple people saying that, you know, well, what if he finds out that we're investigating him, says the leader of the CIA. Um, and they, and, they go, well, it'll kill thousands of people. So let's not even investigate him for things. You know, let's, let's just forget about Homelander because he's too mental and too powerful, you know? So yeah. that's what we're kind of hearing. And we, we see this with Stillwell, even when she's being honest with him and finally tells him, you know, you're scaring people around you. He kills her. You know, he's a crazy, crazy guy. And it seems just on that, that point around the CIA, like it seems that it's known mm-hmm. at the higher levels. Yeah. That he is. A loose cannon. Oh yeah. It's it's like it's like it's like the Kardashians. Like you kind of know that they're batshit crazy, but you just let them do what they want. Okay. They have the money and the power, and you're like, oh god, you're crazy. We don't even want to do like. We're just not even going to deal with you. But yeah, you go have your reality TV show. The TV podcast industry lawyer is telling us not to criticize the Cardassians. (laughs) (laughs) They have a lot of money and very good lawyers in the family, Chris. (laughs) Sorry. But you see, it's just such a strange that it is known that he is so crazy. I think there's one of those things where they're, they're kind of saying, if you have a foolproof way of getting him inside a prison that he can't possibly get out of, then we'll maybe pay attention to your report that this guy's crazy. Right now, we know he's crazy, but he's not killing anybody right now. So look, we'll have to just leave him doing what he's doing and hope, cross our fingers, that this guy <laughs> won't go absolutely mental and destroy everything and everybody. I think even early on in the series, we, we had that conversation between Billy and Rayner, the CIA uh, deputy director, where she is basically saying, to him, I don't really care if he gets signed up for the army and sent off to the other side of the world because, well, it gets him out of my zone, basically. So um, so everybody seems to have that feeling of just let him do what he's doing. Hopefully he doesn't kill too many people, basically. So, yeah, you know. absolutely. I mean, I again, this was this was so tense, this scene. I was just mm-hmm. like, what is he going to do? You know, because we, we saw him casually slice off a jihadist's legs at the start and then crush their head underfoot. And, you know, with that big all-American white grin uh, after it. And I was like, you've got the explosives around Stillwell, and he's the... And he, he whispers something into her ear, and he's got this this kind of menacing presence, and then, you know, she's saying she's scared of him. And I was just like, what is he going to do here? Mm-hmm. I was like, he's going to crush her skull. Um, it's interesting, actually, Chris, you saying about him like maybe dismembering her to some extent, but still keeping her alive. Uh, 
like taking off a limb or something like that. What's he going to do? And then, yeah, uh, you get the laser beams to the eyes, yeah. which that orangey red of his laser beams with the kind of lighting that they've done here was just like, whoa. And then she kind of looks like one of those Mexican death masks or something. Um, I just thought was yeah. like, Oh my goodness, this is what they've done. But I really yeah. thought it was great. I, I, I kind of felt that it made sense that Homelander would do that because again, I think even in that moment, up until she says I'm scared, she's still lying. She's saying, well, my actual son is less important to me than, yeah. than you, which is not the case. So just he, to please him. It, it's just in the end, the truth does come out that she's scared. So she'll mm-hmm. say anything. Yeah. Um, and then also by doing this, it completely then changes the dynamic that, uh, Billy Butcher has here because he's gone into this thinking this is his love at the moment when he knows he's been betrayed by her and she's still lying to him. Um, so I, I kind of really like this. Um, I also do like Billy Butcher's moment after that, where he's kind of like, yeah, screw it. Oh, well, yeah. yeah, screw it. What the hell? Like detonate. So can we quickly talk about this before I pop onto my antagonist moment? Because we're not, we don't really have anything else about this bomb going off, uh, in, in the rest of our notes. I noticed. Um, so what, where's Teddy? Teddy's dead. Yeah, yeah. Teddy Teddy's dead. crispy. Yeah, he's crispy like his mommy. Like it's like that. that that's the only way. Mm. Like Homelander hated the kid. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I don't think Homelander Butcher was going to save the kid. Just thought, I I'm gonna I'm gonna die anyway. I might as well take out the as much of Homelander as possible. Screw the collateral damage. Right. Yeah. Like in my head, that's it. And. It's interesting because yeah. it's just one of those one of those things where there's no mention of it after. It's obviously we only get a very short scene, which we're going to talk about in a mo. But um, yeah, it's just one of those ones where afterwards you think back and you go, "Well, that bomb accomplished absolutely nothing except destroying any evidence that uh, Madeline Stillwell <laughs> was killed by Homelander and yeah. killing her son." Effectively. Yeah, it'll be blamed on a gas leak. It'll be blamed on Billy basically that he killed Madeline Stillwell and her son in a bomb in their house, and that's kind of it. And Homelander gets off scot free. So uh, interesting. Just wanted to point that out just there because that's the only time we really have the bomb mentioned, uh, unless they do in season two, because of it's just assumed that killing a child is probably bad in, in this case for a TV show. They probably weren't sure when they wrote this and filmed this that they were going to get a season two. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, well, you can assume that they were like, well, let's just pretend, say nothing. And if we get back for a season two, we can say, and Teddy was found. He, he'd been given compound V as a kid, uh, as a baby, baby, Maybe. baby. And he, yeah. he's indestructible. And that's, he's, he was like there. Okay, let's cross our fingers for that for season two. Um, my antagonist moment from the episode we already kind of mentioned earlier on is it's a train's heart attack, and um, because I just think it's a really interesting way that they've they've ended every character story in this final episode. It's very hard to do when you have you know you have the seven and when you have all the boys to give everybody a moment effectively. But having a train stand up for his his beliefs effectively, what that why should a member of the seven be helping the boys and yeah. why should they be helping Huey, especially because Huey did what he did to a train. And I thought it was an interesting conversation between the two of them, especially because, you know, we had that discussion back when he was talking to Popclaw, telling her that he was absolutely in love with her. There's nothing else that we've seen on screen that says that he was lying at that time. 
And he actually has that moment after Papa's gone. He's t- telling Huey, you killed the woman I love. I know it was my fault. I know I actually killed her myself with my own hands, but it was your fault that I had to kill the woman I love. So he absolutely did love Popclaw. He was absolutely in a relationship with her, but he knows to protect the seven, he did have to kill her. I think that's kind yeah. of where we, where we get to. So it's good to have that kind of laid out in this final episode, but also to have the consequences of him being a V addict coming back to stop him at this final moment where he could have actually gotten to Starlight and could have gotten and killed Huey effectively. It's all because he's been using this V to mend his bones overnight to uh, keep himself as the fastest man alive, uh, which he continually says throughout this episode. I think he says it three times in this episode, I'm the fastest man alive. And you see a poster up in the background saying fastest man alive as well. And at the end of the episode, it's possible that he may be the fastest man dead. (laughs) <laughs> which I just yeah. think is quite interesting. But uh, but yeah, no, I'm, I'm glad they ended off his story in this final episode because you could have left it and gone, we'll come back to that in season two and just had him, you know, in the in the shop on a, on crutches. But the fact that he mends himself, pulls the, pulls a train behind him and has a moment with Huey in this final uh, episode is, is really good. I liked it. I'm interested to see where they will, will they save him? Yeah, um, absolutely. At the end of this season, is he going to be just, yeah, has his heart stopped mm. completely? And... Will that body count on top of that of the translucent mm. and be added to the boy's ledger? Maybe, maybe. Um, it, it's going to be interesting to see that. I think. Yeah, but at least we had that moment where Huey checked the pulse and and Annie calls the calls the uh, the ambulance to come and pick him up. So at least we have those moments where we think, as of right now, he's not dead. So uh, she stays with him for to wait for the emergency services to arrive and. Cross fingers, they get there quickly, basically. So, uh, so yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens in season two. But that was just my quick antagonist moment for the episode. Uh, John, any other outstanding moments we haven't talked about? Um, for, for me, I just like the the brief moment with uh, the deep, actually. Um, oh yes. Uh, you know, he he's in Sandusky still. Um, and I, I like the fact that you know the the opening where Homelander goes into Tal Rifat in Syria gets the compound fee, effectively sets up. Um, the multi-million dollar vault international contract with the defense department. And also we do get that little moment where he says, you know, he was the one that started the soup terrorists, um, in mm-hmm. that sense, uh, not as such vault. It was yes. Homelander, which is a really nice thing. But, it, you know, the seven are being called in. It, it's like the, the battalion being called to arms and the deep believes that he is back and he will be leaving Sandusky. He's been called up. He's making himself a vodka smoothie. Uh, whilst the guy who's kind of his, his, um, babysitter is like saying, well, um, we've, we've been on to New York and well, uh, you're going to be the savior of Sandusky. <laughs> and it's in that moment <laughs> where he suddenly knows his place. He, he is no longer this cocky guy that we saw at the start. And I, mm-hmm. I think that's one of the really outstanding aspects, I think, of this episode is where the deep was in season one. Um, you know, and because it was surrounded with him sh- showing off his midriff to, to Annie and translucent was a bit, you know, a, of a creep as well. He just kind of thought, okay, this is all the seven, but he has just been gradually put on the longer lead by vote by Madeline, mm-hmm. uh, by the seven. Um, and he's now left a, a drift, um, 
in Sandusky, uh, with only opening up of the, the aquatic park, uh, the thing that he can do. And I, I like that he kind of goes off, uh, the deep end here and, and does his whole shaving moment. Uh, I still think it's kind of creepy seeing his gills flap a little in the mirror. I mean, it's good CGI that that level of detail, yeah. but then he, he does that kind of swimmer thing where he shaves and um, his chest and, and legs and, arms, uh, yeah. legs and arms in order to sort of make himself streamline. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, yeah, unfortunately the, the flipper brigade isn't going to be, um, his moment. He, he is going down the Britney Spears moment of shaving his head. Yeah, you know, absolutely. um, he feels disgraced. Yeah. Uh, he's lost it. Uh, he's no longer a part of this star studded seven, effectively. Absolutely. Um, and I thought that was a great degradation of this character yeah. from the start to the end, um, uh, where he's basically shaving himself in the mirror on his own. <laughs> In some Hickville in Ohio. Uh, apologies, anyone listening from Sandusky, Ohio. But well, Eric Kripke, the showrunner for the show, is from Ohio, and that's why he set it in Sandusky because ah, he knows okay. absolutely nothing goes on there. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, this okay. is this is the story really of a superstar who's able to get away with anything, getting paid millions and millions of quid, and then their life takes a turn and they fall out of favor with everybody. So that's what we've seen with the deep. I probably thinking back on the first episode, you kind of think that he's pushing his luck with the new starter in the group because he can get away with anything. He's this person. He's one of the only massively famous superheroes in the world, one of the seven effectively, and thinks he can do whatever he wants yeah. to. So he pushes his luck at the start. You hear, you know, even from the start, you hear him going, well, I can end your career to Starlight. And you find out pretty quickly, actually, he's always been criticized by everybody around. He's always been the butt of everybody's jokes. So he's always been a sideline person, but he's trying to push an advantage he thinks he has on Starlight and look what's happened to him. He's lost his career. He's lost all of his money. He now's on, you know, what's it? 95 quid per DM is what he's on now. Whereas in the past, 75, 75, not even 95, not even almost a hundred dollars, 75 quid a day. And in the past, he used to live in like penthouse apartment in Voice Industries building, you know. Now he's living in this little crap hole, one bed, <laughs> bed sit, basically, uh, where his only friend is the PR guy. And he doesn't even tell him the truth most of the time. So, <laughs> you know, it, he absolutely fall from grace and drop from yeah, yeah, massive definitely. superstardom to just being the person that cuts the ribbon or maybe has his own Las Vegas show. Uh, to, to yeah, continue that, that Britney Spears uh, analogy there, I suppose. Um, but yeah, definitely a sad end for the character but well deserved from what he where he tried to push things yeah, at the beginning definitely. of the series question mm-hmm. do we think they're going to give him a redemption arc in season two i don't know how you do it um i think this moment of realization that he has here in this episode is the first moment where he's gone i did this to myself is what this feels yeah. like um so i suppose that's where you start um you know if people can't come back from things they've done wrong well you know, what's the point in any of us, in any of us living, I suppose, if you can't go back from what you, what you've done wrong. But, uh, I don't know whether redemption arc is, is the, is the thing. He'll certainly have to work massively hard, particularly as we saw in that last episode when he did the apology, uh, to camera, he was putting it on. He still wasn't agreeing yeah. that he should be apologizing. He was just doing what he was told by the company. So this is the first moment of hopefully many that he would need to go through to, uh, build himself back up to the ability to be even, even able to get back into the seven, you know? Well, actually, I don't think it's about even getting back. Like, I have a theory that they may turn him into, um, the, like basically his redemption arc may meet, make him similar to, I say to say this, similar to Annie. 
to Starlight in that he wants to be a superhero again, so he'll start from fresh. So it could be an interesting one. Mm. And I actually would like to see that scene where him properly, actively, actually, um, truthfully apologizing to Annie. Yeah, absolutely. That, that, yeah. That, that would certainly make it much better than the fake yeah. apology that he did on, on television, I suppose. Um, but I do wonder, remember, he did say that he was never happy in the seven either because everybody criticized him all the time. And the yeah. only jobs they gave him were there's a, a fish in a river that needs to be saved. That's a job for the deep. Uh, there's some guys that are adjacent to water. So we need to bring the deep in to yeah. save them. So remember, he wasn't massively happy with being a superhero. He did seem to try and take advantage of the fame side of it, but wasn't massively happy. About it. Absolutely. And, but, and that apology though was at the insistence of Stillwell mm-hmm. to get ahead of the narrative. So it wasn't even his. And, and yeah. maybe he thought he still had the chance and protection of Vought, yeah. which he then, and certainly now, um, knows that he hasn't gotten. Um, he knows that he's being effectively cut adrift. Yeah. So um, that puts the different perspective. I mean, for me, certainly, I really hope that we see the deep in the second season. Oh, absolutely. Um, I really hope we have him there uh Trace with, is fantastic. Yeah, with whatever it. arc he does, redemptive or otherwise, mm-hmm. I think could be um, just really good. I, I think uh, his story is not finished. Yeah. So I, I really hope he's back in season two. Definitely. He's yeah. such a great actor. Without a doubt. Um, that's it for Deep Shades? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I, I just wanted to mention Queen Maeve. I haven't got too many massive points because I think you guys are talking about a lot of the massive points and we're kind of talking about them all together, really. Uh, you mentioned yeah. it earlier on, the... The moment where she finally gives some advice back to Annie uh, in this episode, we've—I think I've mentioned it actually in almost every episode—that there there must be some connection between the two of these characters as to what they've gone through in the past. But I absolutely love the explanation from Queen Maeve that the the item that was leveled at her specifically from Annie that I wanted to be like you because you once saved a bus and you broke all the bones in your arm, but that was probably written by the PR guys. And we find out here that actually that was the thing that Queen Maeve did that saved, that saved a, t- a school full of kids. And to hear that one of her biggest fans now believes that that's something she didn't do and it's all just made up by the pure guys hurt her so badly because she used to be just like Annie. She used to be a superhero and believe that she was a superhero and that's why she wanted to be in the seven. But she let everybody walk all over for so many years that now most of her is lost. So she effectively says to Annie, you just go ahead and be your stupid, annoying self because one of us has to do it and you're the only one in the position to do it. So I kind of like that kind of handing over the mantle from Maeve. She's not specifically saying she's going to be any better in the future, but she's saying to Annie, you be better now because you can be. And I've gone way past that point, effectively. So I kind of yeah. like it. I really yeah, like it, that relationship. Yeah, I, I love the parallel storyline uh, here, you know. Um, and I, I think it's just testament to the writing. I think uh, when Queen Maeve goes, I started giving pieces of myself away. I guess I gave away everything. Mm-hmm. Um it's it's just a, a, it's a really interesting sentiment that the, the you know I think Starlight is barfing down the toilet and she's like do you want me to hold your hair it, you know Queen Maeve can see that she has given that first piece uh, to Vault uh, yeah. and she'll have to give more and more and more uh, as she gives ground to maybe her principles her her point of view uh, and that for Queen Maeve, it happened over time where, and all of a sudden she has this moment, um, that, well, I gave everything away. She can't remember when that time came, but mm. certainly it happened. Um, yeah, so I, I liked, uh, how this was done, uh, for sure. It was a nice moment between the, the two ladies. Yeah. I love this, um, 
the, the, the just showing that her radial fracture in her arm never healed. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what was going on. I when they were she was pulling her for, for brace up. I was like, is is she about to say that she cuts herself? Are we going to go down that route? Right. Is that she self harms? And then it 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 didn't go down that route. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, I just I really enjoy this, and I think you're right, Derek. I think she may be the one who will stand up to Homelander at some mm-hmm. point. Yeah, that, yeah. That this is happening slowly but surely. It's building yeah. towards that that she sees the problems. Exactly. Like this is absolutely what I thought was happening in this episode. I thought it was going to be punchy, punchy. Queen Maeve jumps over to the other side. Uh, after that discussion with Huey, Starlight gets her on board, and then the two of them go and track down Homelander. Starlight blinds Homelander, and uh, and Queen Maeve punches him to death or punches him into oblivion, effectively. But that didn't happen. That's not how the episode ended. Chris, do you want to take us on to your final outstanding moment? Yeah, sure. Um, this is the, the big one. Um, mm-hmm. This is the one we've kind of been dancing around a bit. Um, it's the very last scene in this episode, the very last ep- scene in this season. Um, it's Becca is alive. Yeah, she is. And the son is alive and the son is a soup. And um, we see his power, his eyes light up the same way with Homelander's um, heat vision, if you will. Yeah, not just because he's yeah. seeing Homelander with that actual was, superpowers. Yeah. That was kind of yeah. cute, I thought, actually. <laughs> um, Daddy. <laughs> this completely uncharted territory for me. Uh-huh. Um, because, and I will say this just to get it out of the way now, Becky, Becca, whatever way you want to call her, she's dead as a dodo in the comics. Okay. <laughs> uh, and I've gone all the way through them. Yeah. There's never a hint of this, so this is completely uncharted ah, territory. Excellent. Which is a nice. I was not expecting this. Mm-hmm. If anything, I was expecting Teddy to be uh, the child. Yeah. Um, yeah, me too. Second. Yeah, and I actually said that just beforehand. I was going, "Oh, what if Teddy is is uh, is Homelander's son?" Um, and then I just went, hang on a second, but didn't Becca disappear eight years ago? Yeah. So, of course, yeah. her son's going to be older than, than Teddy. And then I was going, oh, maybe they're just going to say that Madeline Stilwell had Homelander's child, and that's who Teddy is. And that's how they survived the explosion. That's how Teddy survives the explosion, effectively. Um, but he seems to have absolutely no care for the child at all. So uh, that didn't make sense either. But, yeah, a really interesting decision here. No, and this it's the, the – so, first of all, get, seeing Butcher's face – but mm-hmm. then seeing Becca's face. Absolutely. Yeah. Like, so I'm wondering, is she the, um, the, what, the chameleon character, the doppelganger character that we see the, the big old man okay. that was having, um, coitus, uh, with the Senator at the beginning ah, okay. of the season. That never even crossed my mind. Maybe. Um, so that is part of me going, mm, okay, so maybe like it's not, so the kid survived, but not Becca. And this is just, uh, like he, the, the doppelganger's job is to stay as, and look like the, the Becca. I don't know. I don't, I don't know where I'm going with this. I don't mm. look. Okay. I, <laughs> I just, so how did she survive? So I think the decision that she was making the three hours that she was sitting in the park, I think I said it on the episode, actually, was that she was being told you have to go and go into hiding with Voice International to save this child. It's probably going to be a super child, effectively, because remember, we saw that 
that scene where the red light was coming out of her stomach. Uh, Billy never knew she was pregnant at all, of course, with, yeah. with Homelander's child. But I think she was taken in at that point by Vought. They, the child was born and she was making that decision in the park that she had to leave Billy and everything she knew behind in order to take care of this child effectively. So I think happened. And I also think, and I was going to mention this earlier on, but I mentioned it now. I also think that by the explosion in the house that Billy's done, I think the reason why Homelander's taken him to Becca is effectively to say, you now take responsibility for killing Stillwell and possibly her child, Teddy. If you take responsibility for that, I won't kill your wife who you've just found out is alive. And Homelander gets away scot-free for it and is able to walk back into Vought, back into his position. Yeah, that's yeah, true. That could be. Yeah. That, that's, that sounds kind of uh, very Machiavellian and Homelander-like. Mm-hmm. I mean, certainly I think... I'm learning the, a lot from this. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think certainly the fact that um, uh, Vogelbaum and Stilwell didn't get their stories straight, well then, it, it's interesting that they would put the doppelganger into the 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 house and, and make uh that super look like becca um, but you're you're thinking it's homelander that put the doppelganger into the house ah okay right yeah. yeah okay i just wonder if it you know I'm, I'm wondering why would homelander even bring billy butcher there if he just didn't if, why would he just kill him why wouldn't he just kill him you know he's, he's, he's ta- taunt him and he then kill him well, but yeah, i'm thinking i'm thinking he's going right I have something on you now. I have your wife alive. I know how much you care for her and I will kill her unless you take the fall for this and get yeah. off my back. And then I'll go back into the, in, into the office. Remember everything throughout this episode, we saw Madeline Sill was about to get promoted uh, to the effectively to the 82nd floor. Uh, she was going to be up there with all the management team. And she's being told that in the future, we're looking to put somebody in charge of Vaught and you're the most likely candidate. She's gone now. The only other person that knew all of her plans was Homelander. So is Homelander trying to put himself into a position in Vault to be the leader yeah. of the company in the future? Don't know whether anybody would want a soup being the leader of the company. They, they seem to know that they need leashes, <laughs> you know, many times. But I think this might be his plan to get back into uh, into Vault and try and cover up all the things that he's effectively done. He's pretty good at that. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's such a departure. Yeah. Because in the comic books... She was raped by Homelander. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and this wasn't a, it, it, so far. We've not had that. It, it looks potentially. It, it's questionable. Can I say she we, was that she's absolutely hmm? been raped by Homelander in this show? Because the only person that says that she wasn't is Homelander. Yeah. He says she wasn't. She liked it. She loved it. She came three times. He says she was yeah. amazing in bed. But that sounds like Homelander. That sounds yeah. like the kind of thing Homelander would say, particularly to taunt Billy. Yeah, he goes like, she came on to me. The fame gives um, people uh, different crushes, you know, yeah. that kind of yeah. thing. But we saw her coming out of the office on that CCTV footage that Mallory showed to Billy, showing her completely disheveled, so showing that she obviously had gone through a massively traumatic experience. So you've got to think that Homelander pushed himself on her and kept her in that room for three hours, you know. So I think that's the unreliable narrator of Homelander. And he's also trying to get at Billy to say, oh, your wife wanted me. I, I Yes, part of me is I believes all that. The dishevelment is definitely that because she looks a bit shocked. But Massively, from this yeah. scene... We see that Homelander um, is somewhat of a flash in the pan type um, in person. Yeah. Um, he can't last that long. <laughs> so three hours 
so I, I'm curious. I I just there's so many questions from this, and yeah, like this definitely. is for me. This is the, the where things get interesting, mm-hmm. um, because exactly that it's uncharted territory, not just for the comic books for the show. Yeah, absolutely. Because it it's basically going. You're going into season two. Um, and they have years of um, history to draw upon, but now it's it's moving into a, a space where they're like, okay, we planted our, we we were very faithful to a degree to the comic books. Okay, now we're verging. Now we're we're launching our own yeah. um, ship towards the, the the new world. It's interesting, isn't it? Because the the PR behind all of these shows and the showrunners behind all of these superhero shows always say, and the and movies based on books and all that kind of stuff. The line they always use is, we want fans to watch it, we want fans to enjoy it, but we don't want them to feel like we're just making a direct translation yes. of their yeah. properties into shows. What I've noticed over the last couple of episodes, Chris, and thanks very much for your Chris's Corner, I know you have another little bit coming up, but what I've noticed over the course of all of these episodes is there are bits taken from issue one, and there's bits taken from issue 80 of the comic books, or issue yeah. 60 of the comic books, all the way through the run of the comic books, and it left me kind of going... Are they going to take anything else from the comic books now that they set up the characters this way? There's probably a few missions here and there that they can take, but they've taken quite major points from all across the series of the comic books. They've now created their characters. It can now roll off in any direction they want it to. They don't need to necessarily stick to the books. They've done enough to pay homage to the books now, I think, um, that they can move on and and say, right, these are our characters now, and we can take them off in whatever direction we want them to go. So uh, I think that's quite interesting, killing off major characters at at the end of the season and bringing characters back to life at the end of the season are two major choices that they're making here to go, this is now our story that we're going to tell. Yeah, I mean, for me, I think this moment where Becca comes out, I do think, um, I still think it's now a little unclear with the TV show whether she's raped or not. Okay. Because at the same time, we do know that Mallory has used that footage to point uh, Billy Butcher at Homelander um, like a howitzer. And I think whilst everyone realizes that Homelander is dark on the edge, borderline psychotic and needs to be handled with care i you know he does say that and i agree i think that idea of the flattery about that she came for me three times it was kind of a girl crush this stuff happens i think that's him um sort of bigging it up Mm -hmm. but he says you think i'm responsible for her death um because he's been lied to. Yeah. So he, so he hasn't killed her. Yeah. And maybe there was something genuine there. Maybe this was the, the mother figure that he, um, really hit on. That's why he could last maybe three hours in, in, in the room with her. Maybe there's something that this is the first person, the genuine person that he had some kind of feeling towards as a female you know as as a as a woman and then he's been lied to so as far as he's concerned she has gone died missing uh fired you name it so i think there's a there's definitely a lot to explore here oh, yeah. um this, for is, sure. this is like taking a post credit scene in one of these movies and stretching it into an entire podcast and talking about the possibilities that could be coming from it you know there's that look between the two of them between billy and becca obviously Becca never expected that Billy would find out that she's alive. But we also find out here that, that, um, Homelander's never seen his son before. So it's not like he pops over on a Saturday to this, to this house. Becca's probably just as shocked to see Homelander there as she, uh, as 
as she is seeing Billy Butcher's there, you know, um, it would seem because we hear earlier on in the season, you hear Homelander talking to Ma- talking to Madeline Stilwell saying to her, do you remember that intern that we had? Do you remember that PR woman that we yeah. had that did the social media for a while? What happened to her? So he doesn't know about her living here. I presume he squeezed all of this truth out from Vogelbaum and he wants Billy Butcher to have the same reaction to her being alive that he does, kind of thing. So, exactly. Uh, so it's an, it is massively intriguing, wonderful end to the to an episode to have it as much of a cliffhanger uh, for the show as this one. So, Definitely, yeah, really, really yeah. good stuff. Yeah. It just it just leaves us in places where where they can take it left, right, up, down, mm-hmm. anywhere, and it's very much okay. They're planting their flag now. Absolutely. I know I've said that twice, but that's really <laughs> how I feel. Absolutely. Uh, any notes uh, for the episode, guys? Uh, yeah, one from me. Um, I think, as she says, you know, uh, each one of the soups kind of gets their moment. And dare I say it, so even does Black Noir, who has um, a little weird moment uh, with the piano piece where he kind of, he just plunks himself down next to the pianist who carries on and then realizes there's a little bit of a threat developing on his left hand's shoulder um, and kind of goes, oh, well, okay, well, I'm going to go now. As then Black Noir goes into a lovely piece of uh, Chopin. Uh, very weird. Don't quite know why it was there. Yeah. But nonetheless, uh, Black Noir even does get a little sign-off for the season in black noir type fashion you know he has been there uh on the periphery and Mm -hmm. he kind of stays there as he does the background music for the vort um corporate celebration it's so creepy (laughs) it's so intimidating as he just sits there beside him and kind of just wards him off by staring at him Uh, i do love it i think it's really interesting i wonder if we're going to see any more next season if we're going to find out anything about the character at all next season Uh, i think we've mentioned before he's based on snake eyes from gi joe rather than a a dc character a character that's notoriously silent and doesn't ever speak in the comic books or in or in the tv show Uh, he's just a very violent ninja effectively which is kind of what you'd expect from uh, from black noir Uh, hopefully we'll see him in the future and sadly because i'm weird it's only in the last episode of the season saying his name out loud that I went, Oh, his name's Black Black, Black Noir, the darkest of the dark. <laughs> Just, you know, you couldn't get a more sinister name than Dark Dark, you know? <laughs> Love it. Wow. But. That's taking you a while. It has. There's a lot been going on in the show. <laughs> um, one note for me is the reveal of Mr. Edgar. Mm hmm. Played by none other than uh, Giancarlo Esposito. Yes. Um, Gus. Um, from Breaking Bad and Bear Garth Saul. Um, for me, he will always be Jack from The Usual Suspects. Yes. Um, I'm so weird. I've never watched more than like five episodes of Breaking Bad and I'd never watched, uh, Better Call Saul because I know that's a prequel to Breaking Bad or a sequel <laughs> to Breaking Bad. So I don't think I ever got to an episode that had Giancarlo Esposito in it, unfortunately. Well, don't worry because he will be in The Mandalorian and he is also in Stargirl. Oh, well, definitely. We, we will see so him. So we'll be definitely seeing him again. Mm-hmm. And based on who he's playing in the show, Mr. Edgar from the 82nd floor. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's definitely going to be just really good because he's going to be back. Mm-hmm. So we will see him in season two. Just one of those special guest stars in this episode I really liked at the beginning of the episode. We saw Jim Beaver, who is known to Supernatural fans, Eric Kripke's former show, as we mentioned multiple times. Uh, Jim Beaver, I think he's been in almost every season of the show, even though I think he 
died quite early on. Um, he's Uncle Bobby on Supernatural, uh, but he appears quite regularly in, in many, many episodes and many, many shows uh, on Supernatural particularly, but he's had loads and loads of other shows as well. But great to see him being brought on board for uh, for the start of this episode. Absolutely. It's always good to see the beaver uh, pop up. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was great to see him here. In fact, that was a nice kind of reveal as well, where you think you're in the Department of Defense and Madeline Stilwell having to explain herself and then it pans back and they're actually in the vault uh, building mm-hmm. on the, the table that the seven sit where she says, you've got no choice. Um, all the other military defense contractors are now obsolete. Exactly. I'm the only one with the product that can fill your need. Um, really good stuff. Yep. Uh, I like that. It didn't save her life, unfortunately. Uh, Chris, do you want to go into our Chris's Corner for the final episode of season one of The Boys? Whoop, whoop, whoop. Welcome to Chris's Corner. So, if, you, if any of you ever seen the MTV movie hit cultural <laughs> phenomenon that was Joe's apartment with <laughs> stinging cockroaches, um, now you can have the kind of theme song in your head for Chris's Corner. The minute you said uh, MTV movie hit, the only thing that went into my head was Joe's apartment, and I was hoping there was another movie, but there hasn't been, has there? <laughs> the only one. <laughs> nope. Not at go. all. Uh, Joe's apartment is the cultural phenomenon about singing cockroaches. And uh, yeah, anyway, this is not uh, Chris's MTV corner. This is Chris's corner um, where we we talk about some of the the lesser known aspects of uh, the boys and the the, the source material. Um, I've been keep saying for a lot of it that I've been... um, going to talk about it in the last episodes depending on what happens so I'm going to bring in some of those bits um, the first is for actually manufacturing supervillains yeah that's 100% from the comic books mm. uh, truth truth be told they manufacture the supervillains and the superheroes mm-hmm. in the comics I thought um, it was massively and- shocking in the episode to find out that it was Homelander on his own manufacturing yeah. the supervillains uh, in here it, fe- it felt like it was going that way like the comic books i thought it was going there that they were you know setting up supervillains to set up the superheroes i think we mentioned it earlier on when we found uh kimiko for the first time that we thought they were doing this on purpose so they would always have supervillains to fight against their superheroes and keep them all in jobs but turns out a plan of uh, of homelander maybe the ones that happened in america were done by Vought international but the ones that were done around the world were done by Homelander, maybe that's where he got the idea from, but we'll only find that out in season two, I suppose. Yeah, it's really, but I'm interested to see where they go with that now mm-hmm. because they need supervillains. Um, one piece, just bringing it back on for Compound V. Um, so I've been tiptoeing around this. Um, in the comic books, the boys do take Compound V. Yeah. Um, which gives them the edge, which it gives them the power um, to actually go toe to toe. Um, with some of the superheroes. Delighted um, they chose not to use that one, actually. Yeah, I I am and I'm not. Um, I, I do want to see, like, a Billy Butcher versus Homelander go toe-to-toe for a while as the Compound V fades out of the system. Um, because Vogelbaum, the whole uh, reason that... It is true. So Compound V causes a lot of problems in people. Mm-hmm. It doesn't always create superheroes. So the reason and the way the boys are able to do it is um, essentially Vogelbaum refines his process on Compound V and gets one that does work in adults. Because in the TV show, we hear uh, Homelander say it was a messy affair yeah. trying to get it to work in adults. And he's not just talking about the female and her body count. Yeah, absolutely. He's talking about like it, it kills more than it saves. Mm-hmm. 
or it kind of it powers. Um, so yeah, there, there's definitely um, space to go into that. Like kind of, I know we're 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 diametrically opposed on part of this, uh, in that you don't want them to get veed up, but I do want to see part of that because it's not it's not always permanent. Yeah, no, I, I just feel in the show the hatred that they've explored with Billy Butcher for anybody using V at all, even Kamiko, who says she's not yeah. even part of the team. He keeps calling them the boys. And he, he feels that she's not part of the team at all, even at this point. Um, so the idea of him taking V just to go into a battle, uh, would ju- it just wouldn't sit yeah. well with the actual show the way they, they, they've laid it out. But that's just a choice of the TV show. They could absolutely change that in season two. But particularly, again, as they've set up that, taking it as adults could kill someone what are you going to have five of the boys take it four of them live and one actually gets superpowers unless Vogelbaum <laughs> has some uh, in his place maybe he, and as long as he's not or maybe he is dead maybe he's not there we need yeah, to find out I think he's squished mm-hmm. um, speaking of squished let's talk about Mary and her grandkids mm-hmm. um, essentially this is we've heard a, we've heard about Lamplighter uh, quite a bit well, not a, quite a bit we've heard about Lamplighter which was the mm-hmm. allegory of uh, Green Lantern uh, in the seven. Um, he was basically had the power of flight and had a big glowy l- lamplight, essentially. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the, a lantern. Um, and he, uh, when the boys first uh, kind of went after the seven before it all came to ground in the comic books, uh, essentially they drew a truce. Um, but Lamplighter wasn't happy with that because they had ruined part of his career. So he followed Mallory back to uh, her, his, I should say, so because Mallory is a man in the comic books, his um, hotel where his daughter and grandkids were staying. Um, and then when Mallory and his daughter went out, Lamplighter went in and killed the grandkids. And pose them in a jacuzzi in a very horrific way. So this is the kind of the the piece that drives Mallory to leave the boys because it's just the body count is yeah. getting too high. The the impact is getting too high, and it, we hear that something similar happened in this. So Lamplighter is killed in the comic books by Mallory for this and because of this. So I'm wondering, will we see a cameo of the Lamplighter and see Mallory killing the Lamplighter in season two? Maybe, yeah. It does feel Um, like one of those weird ones, doesn't it, where they've talked about a character for the whole of the season and always seen as a poster, I think, of uh, of Lamplighter early on in the season. He's also in the fresco at the back. Yeah. You know, that that relief. Oh, that's the other photograph from season two that's been released, isn't it, where we have uh, Starlight has been added to that fresco uh, above above the room. We didn't see that during this season. It's part of season two's setup. So that's cool. Yeah. Um, and then speaking of Annie, um, thank you very much. No problem. Her origin story here is pretty different from the com- comics. Right. Um, so in the comics, I should say in the series, we find that her mum gave her in to be V'd up mm-hmm. um, and that her dad left because of that. Yeah. Um, but the mum continued on and put her through. Uh, that say the fault. What was it the the, the pageants etc. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the comic books, it's pretty different because basically she, her for whatever reason, her mum and dad are exposed to V, and uh, Annie is born with blinding powers at birth. Right. 
So as soon as she exits the womb, she blinds everyone in the room, including uh, her parents. Okay. okay, yeah, makes sense. Um, and because of this power, uh, essentially Vought adopt her and give her to foster parents. Mm-hmm. Um, and her birth parents just sign off um, or give them a, a big chunk of change and sign off anything to do with her. Right, right. Um, and this foster family, you find out there's this network of foster families who raise soup kids mm-hmm. and put them in the pageants, and the pageants are just basically training them for the seven. Right, It's right. that type of way. Yeah. Um, it's really interesting. Yeah, it's cool. I think there's probably been a few stories earlier on, as we talked about throughout the season, there's a few stories of soups not having parents, so it's kind of interesting that we have that relationship between Annie and her birth mother, effectively, and that, yeah. and that no money changed hands. That's quite an interesting idea. It's kind of like the pageant system in America where you're kind of going, you know, does a, does a four-year-old really know that they're being put through this pageant system by their parents for the betterment of themselves, or is it just the parents trying to live their dreams through their kids, which is what comes out in this episode. I thought that was quite, quite a cool choice. Uh, but that's really yeah. interesting in the comic books. That does say, seem much more like a comic book origin story for the characters. Yes, so exactly. Yeah. Um, and then just, I'm, I'm just, I'm going to quickly jump into season two. Uh-huh. Um, so there has been um, implications and it's been confirmed that the character of Stormfront will be in season two. Mm. Um, and this uh, is really interesting for two reasons. Mm-hmm. One, they're making Stormfront uh, a female, mm-hmm. which is not that problem. We've seen this, this gender swap uh, in this season uh, a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but more, Stormfront's a Nazi. Right. Stormfront was literally one of the original Compound V test subjects from Germany in the comic books and is brought over and is a full-on Nazi. Right. Uh, but he is like, so he's basically essentially Homelander, bit more, few more different powers like control of lightning and things like that. Okay. Um, um, but he, yeah, he's hides all his Nazi crazy rhetoric internally, but is essentially that. that. So he's um, like Red Skull from Marvel, right? Yeah, but like with that. a better looking face and a moustache. Yeah, okay. Um, <laughs> well, but the reason I bring this up is this, this implies the addition of another team. Mm-hmm. So in the comic book, Stormfront is part of Payback. Um, and if you think of the Seven as being the, the version, the boys' version of the Justice League, mm-hmm. Payback is the boys' version of the Avengers. Okay. Yep. So you've got uh, Stormfront being Thor. We've also had a couple of other named characters in this. So you have Tech Knight, who we talked about, which is basically the Batman Iron Man. Mm-hmm. We have Soldier Boy, who's Captain America. Mm-hmm. You have Swato, the, who's the Wasp. <laughs> Love that one. Uh, Mindjoid, who I talked about as before as well, who's the, uh, the Vision. Uh-huh. Yep. Yep. Crimson Countess, which is Scarlet Witch. Uh-huh. And Eagle the Archer, which is Hawkeye. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> uh, yeah. So the fact that they they, they have named the team Tech Knight, I think they've named uh, Stormfront. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we got Mindroid, or maybe I just brought Mindroid up. I think you mentioned Mindroid in relation to Mesmer, the character that could read other people's minds. Yes, that was it. Yeah. Yes. Um, so look, it, it's just interesting to see because we've had our Justice League. Now are we going to get our Avengers? Maybe. Yeah. Um, and how they'll bring that in. Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, really. So this to has that. been everything for Chris's corner on season one of The Boys. If you would like to know more in season two, um, yeah, just leave us a, a nice note, and I will get back to it when next year when 
the boys is released. <laughs> Excellent. Thanks very much for Chris's Corner, Chris. Chris's Corner Season 2 coming soon, or maybe John's Jolly Jamboree, if he's read all the comic books by the end of next year. <laughs> well, yes, it, it might be where we just descend into filth, and uh, uh, the darker side of... Of the boys. The boys. Well, now, hang on. I don't know whether you could call it Jolly Jamboree if it's going to be the darker <laughs> side of the boys, John. <laughs> well, no, that's true. Um, or maybe we, we take a hard analytical look at the Mr. Men series. I don't think that would have any connection at all to the boys. But anyway, let's get on to general thoughts about the boys. John, do you want to give a rating for the season finale or the oh, show itself? Oh, I do, I do, I do. I give this five rapey Santas out of five. <laughs> yes, um, in yeah. the immortal words of Billy Butcher to Homelander. Uh-huh. Um, Stop being a rapey Santa and get down off the roof. Yeah, I love that line. That yes, <laughs> yeah, really good. Um, I really love this episode um, and given that it was the finale mm-hmm. i just thought it delivered on so much it gave everyone a wrap-up it covered and covered off parts of the story it's opened up so much more uh that we're gonna see in season two which we know is being um shot at the moment so i really like this uh, and to be honest that unexpected ending where it almost seems a little happy families from uh homelander uh, and certainly given that was coming off um a well, what the hell moment from Billy Butcher mm-hmm. and a uh, uh, laser, a longing, deathly gaze from Homelander into uh, Madeline Stilwell's eyes, mm-hmm. I thought was really good. I, I liked, um, I, I just thought this was a really strong final episode. Yeah. Um, and it delivered on so much from the season, uh, from the last few episodes and for this final episode. So, uh, absolutely five rapey Santas out of five. Excellent, excellent. Yeah, I really enjoyed it overall. The season in itself has been a really revelation of a TV show. Um, I do think it goes so fast in these eight, ep- eight episodes and they focus on just the seven and just the boys so much that a lot of the background detail about Voyage International and Voyage Industries, we don't know. So I hope they explore that a little bit more next season so we see a little bit more of the universe that these all these characters are in. Uh, but it's been fascinating. It's been really, really good as a season overall. Chris? Yeah, I, I can't say much more than it's already been said. Uh, I, I've, loved, I've loved the source material for years. I've loved this show. I've loved, as I talked about, when I thought they were going to zig, they zagged instead. And mm-hmm. um, it was definitely, it's been, I thought coming into this, I may be at a point where I knew I knew everything they were going to do. <laughs> uh, that's not the case with this. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, this has been fantastic. And mm-hmm. this last scene uh, says it all for me. This literally, I have no idea where they're going to go with this. Uh, and I couldn't be more excited. So I can't wait till next year um, until uh, the boys are back. Excellent. Excellent. Well, Chris, I know you've given us an extra special episode of Chris's Corner, so we'll let you rest your voice. Uh, We're going to go on and do some feedback in our feedback section called Frenchie's Letters. Okay, that was a lie. Chris is actually in Tokyo at the moment. Uh, We have taken a little respite, taken a little break after we recorded our podcast about the finale of The Boys, and now we're into The Boys, Frenchie's Letters for the finale. Yes, it's Frenchie's finale letters. Yes, yes, much, much better. Our first piece of feedback comes from Ray over on our email at feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com. Ray says, hi guys, just finished the last two episodes of The Boys and wanted to write in to let you know some of my thoughts of the finale of what has been a superb TV show. I'll get straight to it. The final showdown between Stillwell, Butcher and Homelander was absolutely compelling. Having seen previously the intimacy shared between Stillwell and Homelander, but bearing in mind the utter psychotic nature of them, 
brilliantly portrayed by Anthony Starr, let me say. I looked him up and had no idea he was a Kiwi. Interesting stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I know he was a New Zealander either, yeah. yeah. I think Anthony Starr mm-hmm. has been phenomenal, actually. And yeah. I do not use that word lightly. I, I think he portrayed just the creepiness, the craziness, the weirdness, mm-hmm. and then the Superman-ness and that public persona yeah uh the the duplicity there is just so well done and there's even moments in this episode how hurt he is at the idea that Stillwell would be so terrified of him and would hide these things from him you know there's some great moments in this episode as well just along with all the other stuff he's done this season absolute standout uh ray goes on to say i was iffy at how the whole situation would play out and the death of Stillwell packed a mighty punch actually the thought of her poor baby when butcher blew the whole place up also shocked me to be honest yeah it was one of those ones where you go did that baby die? As we as we talked about in yeah, the podcast, yeah. you know, and yeah, we sit, we think it has. Uh, we'll probably see in season two how, whether they'll renege on that, whether they'll go, oh, actually, the baby was superpowered, it's still alive, or you know, maybe Homelander's not that bad. He did save the baby. Maybe the bomb didn't even explode. You know, there is that moment where it just goes to light as Butcher presses the button. Maybe it was stopped before the explosion happened. You never know. There are ways out of it that they can go for in season two. Uh, Ray says, there hasn't been a show like this in a long time. It's so well written. Large ensemble cast. I still love season one of Daredevil, but even that has different beats to its 13 episodes compared to the boys. Homelander is one of the best realized villains adapted for screen from the comics. Oh, and by the way, I am definitely going to have to read the comics now for sure. And the fact that the boys are all human gives them a fragility and vulnerability as opposed to their superpowered nemesis. I think we talked about on the podcast this idea that um, the boys could possibly take V to go up against the superhumans. And I think that's part of the reason why the boys works as a show is that it is humans using everything available to them to blow up and kill superhumans, but not kind of facing them toe to toe in a way. They're kind of using, you know, bombs and guns to take out the superhumans. And I think that's quite cool. Absolutely. I I think the whole thing is inverted. It, It plays with your thoughts and ideas of the superhero genre. Mm -hmm. But what I mean by that is it's inverted in the sense that the heroes are regular people and it's inverted in the sense that the superheroes who should be good are much darker, if not downright evil. So it it just inverts the whole thing. Although it does keep corporate evil uh, at a pretty standard uh, (laughs) sort of level setting. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they're the the human evil, I suppose, if you want to say that. And it is interesting that those humans that you identify with as being heroes, some of them are a-holes as well. You know, at the end the day we do have that conversation between homelander and butcher in this episode where homelander goes to him hang on a second are you telling me you have absolutely no proof that i killed your wife you surely you have some hard and fast proof here that i killed your wife you didn't just go in this mission on the assumption of something that happened yeah and butcher's like hmm not really. You know, it's like you have nothing here at all. Uh, but yeah, really interesting. I love the dynamic between these two sides. Uh, back to Ray. He says, one thought about A-Train. I really do like how he finally admits to Huey that he killed Popclaw. The inner turmoil was so well played by Jesse T. Usher. You know what? It's something that we didn't really talk about was the actors behind these characters. You know, as Chris said, he hated A-Train from the beginning because of the storyline that was being portrayed. Yeah. But but absolutely, Jesse T. Usher is great. The whole cast really there's not not really a bad person among them. No, they've all been really, really good. And I think you're right. I think his 
his descent from being this poster boy mm-hmm. to in his own way being sidelined. I mean, it's very different from what happens with the deep. Yeah. But in a way, it's also pretty similar in that, you know, he loses it. Uh-huh. So does the deep. There's all these, the only even keel really is Black Noir because we don't really know an awful lot about him. Um, and probably Homelander to some extent, mm-hmm. but even that he has the rage. Even Queen Maeve does, and I think they've all really played their part so well in showing these small journeys for the personal character as yeah. much as the wider storyline. And I agree, I think uh, Jesse T. Usher was really good as A-Train. And that conflict around Popclaw, about killing Huey's um, girlfriend Robin, but also then Huey being involved with um, all, all this surveillance and potentially Popclaw, you know, in A-Train's mind. But yeah, the conflict is there. It's not Huey, it's him. Um, But he forced him to do it. So it's just, yeah, the the confusion, the the deceit to himself really comes out. Exactly. Uh, Ray continues, the deep, what the hell is going on with him? The shaving scene with OEM in the background again left me conflicted. It is still comical, but you can't help but feel for the deep in his own little journey. I hope we get more of him in next season. Uh, love the deep this season. And yeah, love to, love to see more of the character next season. And, and I hope it's not going to become just that comedy clip of every time he tries to save a, a sea creature, it dies in front of him. But that would still be worth it. I just want to see the actor back. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think Chase Crawford played him so, so good. so well, for yeah. sure. And um, I mean, I think it would be really interesting to see him actually do that 180. Maybe this is one of the the Vought superheroes that one of the seven that can change yeah. or will look to change. Um, it, it's interesting to know because, yeah, in, in some respects, maybe you'll just revert back to type. You know, Stillwell is dead and he's still alive. So yeah. maybe he, he just comes back into the fold and then has learnt nothing and gets an even harsher um, treatment of him when he's trying to, you know, whip off his, his well, I was going to say his knickers, but his swimming tub. His swim tub. Yeah, yeah <laughs> Maybe, maybe. Uh, Ray continues, I loved Black Noir playing Chopin on the grand piano. He's deliciously mysterious, which I guess is the point. But I just want to know more about him, and I hope we get that too. Such a good show, and always grand hearing you guys break it down as well as, as you do and tie things into the comics like Chris did. Thanks very much for that, Chris. Uh, look forward to hearing your thoughts on the show, and here's to another season of The Boys Up Ahead. Thanks so much, Ray. Always great to hear from you. Um, I think my episode of uh, of Into the Night, a Moonlight podcast, where I'm interviewed by Ray about uh, about loads of stuff, awesome comic stuff. I think that's coming up later on this month. So make sure you check that out over on his podcast. Thanks, Ray. Yeah, thank you so much, Ray. Yeah, over on Facebook, Salim Kisler goes, "What a fantastic show! Can't wait to see what Billy does next." At Dragon Con, Urban and Quaid said season two is even crazier than season one. <laughs> Pretty standard line, but I believe them. I do too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do as well. And I, I did ask Salim, was it a pretty sweary uh panel and uh-huh. he said oh yes so i reckon if there was the luke cage swear jar then for sure uh, that would be pretty full with mm-hmm. cash absolutely yeah robert philip begins no homelander really is a supervillain without redeeming features best seven moment of the arrival of supergirl i mean starlight to save the day best boys moment the punch from mother's milk is everything we've come to expect and best other moment, the melting of Madeline via her optic nerves. 
I love that moment when uh, Mother's Milk punches Huey in the face to get the retainer out of his mouth because it looks like he's going to yeah. do something different because Frenchie's been trying for ages to pull it out of his mouth. <laughs> Mother, Mother's Milk is like, just give me a second. Just give me a second. Everything be okay. Absolutely. No, <laughs> really good stuff. Yeah. Um, and yes, Homelander does not have any redeeming quality. Mm-hmm. I really do wonder how uh, Super Kid is going to turn out mm. because, you know, his... his Laser eyes do light up on knowing that Homelander is his father. And and I'm kind of there going, is he just going to teach him to be an absolute nightmare? Mm -hmm. Possibly. I suspect so. Yep. Yeah. Thanks so much, Bob. Also over on Facebook, we have Sylvie Carbono. She says, just finished watching episode eight. Wow. What a way to end the first season. Mm -hmm. I was expecting Homelander to sacrifice Stillwell, but his way to kill her was even more cruel and heinous than I expected. Billy choosing revenge brings him on a terrible and painful path, while Huey choosing to save the other boys ends up in a better situation. But is he really? Mm. The super terrorists are still out there, meaning that the soups will still be part of the military and even more powerful and glorified. The boys are still wanted and Homelander is more powerful than ever now that his only weakness is dead. Season two will be a hell of a ride. Absolutely, Absolutely, Sylvie, for sure. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and he may have an ally in his little kid who goes shooting little laser (laughs) beams from his eyes. Maybe, maybe. I think, uh, Remember, Butcher also has that baby that he was able to shoot lasers (laughs) out of his eyes. Yeah, that'd be quite cool. Um, And, I, yeah, I think that moment where Huey chooses to save the other boys, Mm -hmm. Billy chooses revenge, I think it's a really nice moment here Uh, and yes that um cruel way from homelander i mean whether stillwell actually deserved it is another matter entirely arguably but i think you know there is that moment where he knows that she's afraid of him yeah but he forces her to tell him and then laser eyes into the eye you know that loving death glance that he gives uh, and yeah after um, threatening your child right in front yeah. of her as well you know it's it's such a brutal brutal moment as you say such a heinous moment from homelander to do that right in front of her and after saying to her oh finally you're telling the truth you're scared of me i kind of knew but i needed you to say it out loud and then blowing at the back of her head with the laser yeah. eyes yeah crazy crazy stuff thanks so much for all the facebook feedback yeah, thank you so much for all the feedback. Really, really good. Mm-hmm. Make sure you join the Facebook group. It is where we will be announcing the other stuff that we're going to be talking about after these shows are all finished up. This is obviously the last episode of The Boys. We will be talking about loads of other stuff coming up. I can confirm since we recorded the podcast that we will definitely be talking about Watchmen, uh, the upcoming show from HBO, another show about crazy superheroes in the modern world. Yeah, uh, I'm what really it would be like looking, to have them around? Yeah. Definitely. I'm yeah. really looking forward to just seeing how that compares to the boys but i think also just judging it in its own right because Mm -hmm. the boys comes from what watchman did in many respects and it'll be interesting to see the different takes absolutely because watchman is going to be a much more political show we definitely know that but it's not based on the books it's it's kind of a sequel to the books Uh, it's coming out on the 20th of october in the u.s and it's been confirmed for the 21st of October. So it's going, going to be a simulcast on Sky Atlantic in Europe. So they will be actually broadcasting it the same day, pretty much, as it's coming out in the US, which shows a lot of confidence. I always say this when a 
watch when a show is bought from America and it's shown the same day, it's kind of at that level of a Game of Thrones. It's kind of one of those big shows that Sky Atlantic really believe in if they're going to show it the same day. Yes, and shock horror, everyone. Alan Moore still isn't involved. No, he's not. Alan Moore actually retires this year, uh, officially. Uh, Dave Gibbons in, is involved in this production, though. Yeah, he might be. Cool. But Alan Moore, as usual, <laughs> is not involved, involved in no. any of his pieces of work translated mm-hmm. to the big or small screen. Well, absolutely. He did the definitive version of the comic book. It's out there. If you want to read it, read that. <laughs> uh, if you, I love him. Absolutely. If you don't like the translation, his book's still there, as he says himself. So, yeah, yeah. yeah, love him. Yeah, big, absolutely. bushy beard. <laughs> absolutely. Let's go on to some voicemail to close out our feedback section for this final episode of The Boys. The first voicemail comes in from Callista, who's a long-time listener, but has never actually sent us in a voicemail before. Thanks so much, Callista. Here's her thoughts. Yeah, hi, Callista. All right, so thinking about the first and the last scene, they are both centered around Homelander, and the first scene, he comes out with that condescending line that they've said multiple times, you are the real heroes, and then proceeds to destroy everyone in his path and slowly crunch a man's head beneath his feet and just smile and then the last scene is him kneeling in front of his son and saying we're a family and it's just so creepy you know most of the time when you hear we're a family then you think oh that's nice but with him it's just oh, what is this going to look like? And how could he possibly fit into their lives? And holy shit, did that kid's eyes just glow red for a second? And is this a new experiment? Um, What's his face? The doctor was saying that with his dogs, if they don't have moms, they're angry and violent. So is this kid with Becca as an experiment to see if he has all the same powers as Homelander, but isn't an actual psychopath. So that was just fascinating. And um, I made a few notes. (laughs) Basically, um, one of the things that really stood out was all of the different heroes' pain or how they're doing, how the deep is just standing in front of the mirror calling himself an idiot and cutting off all his hair. I mean, that was just so painful. And A-Train is clearly reaching the end of his addiction. Um, But that's funny about Black Noir. He's just still chilling, sitting down at the piano. (laughs) It's beautiful music. He's obviously an amazing player. Um, And then Starlight, she does the right thing at the end, or what we perceive as the right thing by helping Huey and the boys. But the funniest part ever is when they're trying to save Kamiko and Frenchie is telling Huey to back up uh, M.M. And he's just like, you just pull the fucking trigger right now. And he's like, okay. 
and he starts shooting. I'm sorry. Sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And then he like bends down. He's like, I'm out. <laughs> oh, so funny. Just murdering people and not saying that, that, that he's sorry the entire time. Which is why I was really confused about why in the world did they not kill A-Train? They've had two different chances now. The first time when Kamiko broke open his leg in Huey's house. And the second time when they're in, uh, I don't know, that space um, where he has a heart attack. And what is the deal with that? It's not like they haven't killed people. It's not that they haven't killed super people. So why are they not killing A-Train? And the only thing I can think of is maybe it's a plot device. If I've never read the comics, but does at some point A-Train switch over to the side of the boys because they have had a chance to kill him twice and just haven't. And um, I don't know. I just thought that was interesting. Okay. My favorite quote was, when they're all in uh, Madeline's house and it's dark and she's strapped with all those bombs. And at this point, the baby's crying too, I think, maybe not. And Homelander's saying, so what's your plan here? And then he, Homelander says, you are dark and I kind of like it. And I just laughed because I thought, true, that is true, Homelander. And also, that is exactly how I feel about this show. It is dark, and I kind of like it. And the last thing was, wow, 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 wow. Madeline's skull. Can you guys, I mean, holy, I've never seen anything like this. He stares into her eyes and her face just slowly melts away, but not enough that we can't see the outline of her skull. I have never seen anything like this. It was so beautiful in a really horrifying kind of way. And that's all, except that I want to say that you guys are incredible. I'm so grateful that you're covering this show because you're just so wonderful to listen to and can't wait till next season. Thank you. So, so much, Callista, for that. Really good. You know, I like notes, too. Notes are good. Notes are king, yes, absolutely. We are. <laughs> We're pretty happy you had notes there. Yeah, yeah We I were think... laughing the whole way through. I loved your reaction to the the uh, beautiful, uh, horrifying skull of Madeline. Yeah. I absolutely reacted that, absolutely. that way. Absolutely. That's not a first date you want to go on to where someone looks <laughs> no. into your eyes and melts your skull. Definitely. Um, and I, I agree with you. I think... There is something dark about the boys, but I like it mm-hmm. too. And I, I, I think you're right. There's there's a really dark sense of humor, which yep. is good um, and just so funny. But at the same time, um, you know, the, there's some really good, serious stuff here as well. I think, um, you know, I think the A-Train thing, you know, why is he still alive? I think yeah. we get a hint of that from Huey when effectively uh, uh, Kimiko uh, does break his legs and I, I think Huey realizes, I think it's like him going to save um, Frenchie and Mother's Milk, realizes that it's not going to bring Robin back. There is that slow Absolutely. realization from him that he could kill as many superheroes as he wants to, mm-hmm. and he will effectively still have lost Robin and potentially is in love with a superhero yeah. in, in Starlight. And 
I think he realizes that you know he's not Billy Butcher ultimately, exactly. yeah. um, so and I think that's really good. I think the other thing that whole line "You are dark" and I kind of like it from Homelander when he speaks to uh, Billy Butcher. It's almost like you know it's a kindred spirit, isn't it? A little bit of admiration, um, yeah. a little bit of admiration, yeah. and and I think um, you know there's a bit of each of them in one another, so yeah. to speak. It's kind of, um, the kind of the thing of, of Homelander is really dark, but nobody nobody allows him to go to the lengths that that. Billy Butcher goes to, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's kind of, it's kind of that way. I totally agree with what Callista's saying there. Um, it is really interesting as well. I think Huey didn't intentionally kill any of the guards. I think he was told to lay down suppressing fire and anyone that he did hit. I think with he the did gun, hit yeah. yeah. Anyone that he did hit, he was kind of going, I'm sorry. I didn't intend to. I just want you guys to sit down while. Mother's Milk does his thing, and Frenchie can't shoot a gun right now. So I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Yeah. You know, so I don't think that I, I don't think he would have been able to muster up enough courage to kill A Train at that point because he's made that he's kind of turned that corner. Now. Definitely, and I, like I really uh, enjoyed your your point around Homelander, Callista actually saying, you know, where he's kneeling in front of his son. Oh yeah, we're a family. You know, the kid's eyes creepily light up, mm-hmm. um, and uh, <laughs> it is. I think I had the same kind of idea. I was like, well. What is this moment? Is this the redemption of Homelander? Mm-hmm. You know, the fact that he has taken out Stillwell and he's taken out the, his lab laboratory father, effectively, mm-hmm. or we're, we guess he has anyway. Yeah, he, sque- he, he squeezed the information yeah, out of him. Squeeze, so he yeah, exactly. It, so, yeah, um, I kind of feel like a tube of, of, of tomato ketchup. He squeezed <laughs> yeah. the information out of him. Yeah. It's like, you know, is this the redemption of him? Or is this like, as you say, he's now... Oh, I can have an army of my minions effectively mm-hmm, to help, or this will be a great cover act for me. Or, you know, does he want to be a father? It's, it's, it's as you say, what is this thing going to look like? What will it work? Yeah, is it an experiment from Vought International that you have someone of Homelander being brought up just by a mother mm-hmm. rather than in a laboratory? Is it that they're going to hate one another ultimately? Maybe. You know, what, how will this work? What's it going to look yeah. like? I had exactly those same ideas because it was that unexpected ending for me. Absolutely. And it's even that line of we are a family as Billy Butcher is there, Beck is there, the kids there and Homeland is there. Does he mean all four of them are now a family unit to take care of this kid? You know, is this <laughs> turning a corner yeah. for him as well? You know, really interesting stuff. And yeah, loved that, that, that line, as you said, John, actually, I love your description of the kid's eyes lighting up as he sees his father. It's not just lighting up as a kid's eyes would. It's lighting up full of powerful lasers. Exactly, <laughs> I really yeah. love that. Uh, excellent feedback. Thank you so much for that, Calista. Hopefully we'll see you back for season two of The Boys. Hopefully you'll even join us for Watchmen over on HBO. A lot more serious we expect it to be, especially from the creators that are there. But it's another twist on the superhero genre that we hope you enjoy. Yeah, thank you so much, Calista. Yeah, and really send us some more feedback in the yeah, future. Absolutely. Yeah. Did also love uh, that sad moment of the deep calling himself an idiot as he shaves his head in the uh, Britney Spears way as well. So, yeah, it was a sad moment, uh, as everybody's mentioned, uh, too. So uh, definitely know what you mean about that. But uh, put some really good stuff in this final episode. Thanks so much. We'll close out our feedback on this final episode with voicemail feedback from Steve Brown. Okay, guys, this is Steve, and this is for episode eight, the season finale of The Boys. And uh, did what? So what did Billy shoot Annie with, or did she have a bulletproof vest on, or is she bullet resistant? I at the end there, you know, we didn't see any blood. We just saw kind of black marks 
uh, at the end of the last episode, and then this episode is not even addressed, except that she had to convince them that that uh, uh, she wasn't part of the the boys. I guess. Um, absolutely love seeing Jim Beaver in this uh, episode. He is a regular on the the show Supernatural, which was also uh, created or, or Eric Kripke had a, a big part of, uh, and still does. I think it's up to some extent, maybe not as much now, but as the seasons, uh, as that show is coming to a close. But uh, he also, his character had the same name as his character on Supernatural, Robert Singer. So I really like that. Uh, as a seven moment, I, I'm going to say Annie confronting her mother because she's technically still part of the seven, even though she, by the end of this episode, seems to be turning more toward us. And uh, for my boys moment, I uh, absolutely love that Frenchie talks about the futile gesture that uh, Huey is making trying to rescue them. And uh, But once again, we see that Huey just has this kind of innate or in- instinctual kind of way that things just work out. You know, I don't know, maybe that's his superpower, maybe he has a luck or something like that. Um, and, um, of course, the big reveal at the end is huge that uh, Billy's wife is alive and that uh, her son is or her son with Homelander is alive. But uh, um, really, really kind of a dark ending, really, with Homelander killing Madeline. And then I think we can only assume that the baby died in the explosion unless he was able to save both Billy and the baby. So uh, can't wait till next season. Can't wait to uh, see what you guys do next. Talk to you later. Yeah, thanks so much, Steve. Yeah, Mm -hmm. she's alive! She's alive! (laughs) Yes, that was a a pretty big ending, actually, to see that Billy Butcher's wife uh, still alive. Although I think I was starting (laughs) to think that was definitely one of the options on the table. I I Um, loved how shocked Chris was because because Becca's dead in the comics. Yes, exactly. I love that Chris was kind of going, I definitely didn't expect that because he he kind of thought there's certain things if you read the comics that are completely off the table and that was one of them. Definitely. And I I think that was, you know, kind of one of the things for for this season. I hadn't seen the comics at all. And Mm -hmm. so all of a sudden it was, well, this is an absolute possibility that she is still alive i think what was most surprising was you know to what extent do we believe homelander uh that actually maybe he really did like it. i know he was trying to certainly rile bit billy butcher up but is that why she left him sat on the seat you know is it is it just because of the act that she did or did she have some form of feelings for homelander is her remorse there is her kind of you know, deep in thought, is that to do with Homelander because she's going to have to leave him? Or um, is it because she's leaving Billy Butcher? Like, what I mean is we've only really seen her and Billy Butcher's previous life very much in in flashback, and it's coming from his perspective. Yeah. Um, I have uh, I have left my original opinion opinion in the podcast that I that I think it was raped from Homelander at the time. I totally believe that. And now as we've been talking about it and the more we've watched it and the the more time has passed, I am wondering if they wanted to keep it as an open question for season two. Now that Beck has appeared just at the end of the season one. So I, I kind of now I'm rethinking my, my idea and I'm wondering if they're going to play with that a little bit in season two. That, that was really interesting. And definitely, I think, uh, yeah, Frenchie's, um, just his whole, I love your futile gesture to, to <laughs> Huey was such a great bit of dialogue. Really, really nice. Yeah. And yeah, Annie's confrontation with her mother. I mean, what an awkward conversation. Mm-hmm. It's like, 
Oh, so is that why father left? You yeah. Know, is that why dad left? Yeah. I, I just thought that was really nicely done. Just how Annie, now armed with this new information, confronts her mom and begins to put certain pieces together about her own childhood yeah. and, and what happened uh, between her and her mom and between her mom and her dad about, you know, effectively saying, I can't actually deal with the fact that we have changed our daughter into a superhero yeah. um and maybe it was because they didn't actually get anything for for that maybe uh, that it was oh hang on we only got the the hospital bills which i know i suppose are big in the u.s but it's kind of massive yeah. um maybe a bit more for after i think it's partially to do with her father kind of going oh we've now bought into this life with no support and now we have to force our child down this path that he may not have believed in i, I wonder if we will see him in season two as she explores her background and maybe finds out the story as to why her father left you know remember I wonder if her dad she's gonna have to have a story alive. yeah she's gonna have to have a story in season two so i wonder if there's if there's part of that and yeah maybe he's not he's not even alive as for what she was shot with at the end of the last episode I don't know. I just kind of feel like Billy Butcher killing her in the park in front of Huey was never in the plan. I feel like even though Billy Butcher talks this big game about hating all soups, I think he still wants to keep Huey on side and didn't want to actually do anything to hurt her. So maybe he was just using some some kind of salt bullets. What are they, what are they called? Yeah, the, salt the, rock. Like James Bond does in View to a Kill, where he's like, it, it, it's the... The shotgun cartridges yeah. were filled with uh, salt crystals. Yeah, something like that where it's just knocking her out. Or, of course, the other option is that all soups, all of these big characters in the Seven, they've gotten there because they can't be killed by regular bullets. They just haven't really said it on the show. Do you know what I mean? Because um, remember, they didn't use a, a gun on A-Train. They used the, the sledgehammer to break his leg. Uh, they, didn't, they didn't do anything. Uh, they haven't used guns on any of the superheroes, as far as I remember, at this stage. Maybe they all have protective powers that don't allow them to yeah, be killed maybe. Uh, that way. So maybe that's what the V does, because they've all been created the same way, remember? So maybe they all have that superpower that guns don't hurt them. So uh, just knock them back a little bit. But that's that's an interesting one that they didn't even come back to it to say why it was, uh, why it was that, you know? Yeah, and of course, who doesn't like Jim Beaver awesome. um, from Supernatural? Yeah, great awesome. stuff, great to see him there. A nice spot about um, him having the same name here, Robert Singer, uh, as he does in Supernatural. Yes, uh, really good to see him. I love it when they just pop in like that and do a little cameo it's just one of those ones where, where a show's gone on that long and you know that they obviously have some affection for each other when they go in and star on each other's shows and, and do little cameos here and there definitely you know? maybe we'll see the brothers in the in the next season of the, oh that would be amazing yeah it'd be really good wouldn't it? okay yes we all like the beaver but we also do love the supernatural boys great crossover idea you should go into TV, Derek. <laughs> I'm telling you, if I could, if I could do it, you know, the show's finishing up pretty soon. <laughs> they, they do need another role. Maybe they can start as oh, be characters in the show. Love maybe those we'll, two guys. Yeah, maybe we'll get them over. Even when the show got a little ropey, um, 
you've still got to love the Winchesters. Mm-hmm. And Castiel. Don't forget Castiel. Yes. Looking Ooh. forward. I always love Castiel. He's always great. Uh, that show is finishing up. Maybe they will get parts in the, in season two of The Boys as, uh, as superheroes themselves or more hunters of uh, superheroes this time uh, over on the show. That'd be kind of cool. Anyway, Ooh, yeah. as always, thank you so much for your voicemail, Steve Brown. Really good to see uh, voicemails from you throughout this season. Uh, you now should know what we're going to be covering uh, in future on the on TV podcast industries. Make sure you all stay subscribed to the other shows that we'll be doing gonna hand you back over to us from the past including chris to say goodbye (laughs) thanks everyone thank you so much for joining us all the way throughout the boys season one we will be back with the boys podcast next year when it comes out on amazon prime hopefully they'll have learned from disney plus and be releasing episodes weekly the way we've been releasing our podcast episodes weekly because i love talking about podcasts every week it's always been great fun uh chatting about our tv shows chris thank you so much for joining us and making the time for every episode of this season of the boys it's been really really good to have your expertise of the boys on board because neither myself and john have read all of the comics i've read a few and i know john you've you've read i've only really just touched the the bloody iceberg yeah um, (laughs) on on the boys yeah excellent so thanks very much for being on board for all of the episodes this season been really good always going to be here for you guys for this excellent excellent Uh, thank you very much to all of our boys and girls for joining us Uh, make sure you subscribe to the podcast on TV Podcast Industries as we mentioned we're still doing Pennyworth every Monday uh, with new episodes each week until that season finishes with episode 10 Um, and we'll have loads more stuff coming up later on in the year Yes, thank you so much, uh, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, for having me here, for listening to my rambling thoughts on the difference uh, between comic books and the TV show on Chris's Corner. And thank you just so much for joining us. Can't wait to see you again for the boys next year. Mm-hmm. And stay tuned for everything that will be non-Pennyworth stuff. <laughs> loads of other stuff as well. Yes. Yeah, loads of stuff coming down the tracks. Oh, and of course, uh, make sure you join us over on our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash TV podcast industries. It's usually the first place we mention whatever we're going to be covering in the future. There's so much stuff coming up this year and we're not exactly sure what the future stuff we're covering towards the end of the year is. So uh, make sure you follow us over there and you'll get some news about that pretty soon. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much, boys and girls, for joining us. It is a pleasure speaking with you. We have to cut and run for our lives. But come on, fellow boys and girls, get ready for season two. Chop, chop. Bye. I didn't save too many outtakes from this season of The Boys, but here's a few that I thought were really funny. Um, they are overweighted to John for some reason, uh, not necessarily because he messes up more often than the rest of us, but they're the ones I've kept anyway. I uh, hope you enjoy, and we'll talk to you again next time. But Homelander arrives to investigate Frenchie's van, and as they cause an explosion to distract Homelander, another explosion rips through Translucent's colon. <laughs> as Huey... <laughs> oh, dear. <clears throat> but Homelander arrives... <laughs> Sorry... Oh dear, this will be the longest synopsis ever. Uh, them going to a Spice Girls conference. Conference. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Just off to the Spice Girls conference. <laughs> Where Posh Spice gives a presentation and slide set on losing weight. <laughs> And how to spice up your life. (laughs) Ten easy steps.
Oh, dear me. Um, right, let's slap that out of me. Um, <clears throat> and I really like the conversation that they have where, you know, um, they're talking about going to a Spice Girls con. Oh, my God. Where they're going to a Spice Girls concert. I think as well, for me, it just ties into the talk earlier in the episode between him and Mother's Milk about, you know, are you monogamous or polygamous? <laughs> polygamous? Polygamous? Are you monogamous or not? <laughs> yeah. You know. It's, as, as Billy said, if the, fr- what was the frozen girl called? Uh, ice, cream. ice cream. Sorry, ice cream. Ice cream. Ice queen. Mm, <laughs> ice cream. Mm, cornetto. Mm. Um, as Billy said. Mm? As Billy said. I think as Billy said. Yeah. And presumably someone somewhere in Boston got a baseball head. Sorry, <laughs> baseball head. <laughs> Um, yes, I have a note. Um, uh, it's more of a, a question note. Um, is John Doman, the great John Doman, who was in the choir, the choir? <laughs> <laughs> Preaching to the choir, John. <laughs> in the wire, that should have been. So let's jump into it. Uh, at this point, we're going to each. Sorry. No, you're fine. I'm really out of form you're today. I, you're out of what? Out of, of form. form. I you said Hawkham. <laughs> I'm, I'm also out of that. I'm out of Look form. At the internet yes, I'm out of powdered rhino horn. Black rhino. Oh, I thought you said, I thought you said porn. That's why I was like, internet has porn for me. Porn. <laughs> wow, what an episode, boys, and I'm really dying to get into it. Well, unless the deep who have absolutely nothing else to do. <laughs> so, or A Train who can, you know, send about 6,000 well, exactly. tweets every five seconds, you know? <laughs> well, it probably, he'll probably destroy his phone. Live. He probably would. It's all about that log. <laughs> um, okay. Oh, so, Chris, speaking. Chris. Yep. I think you said it's all about that log instead of lag. <laughs> it's all about that log. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's all about that lag, man. Mm. <laughs> He only has about five writer's credits in the past, and not that, right, not that so many. He only has about ten. Ten? <laughs> what did I double five, his ten, <laughs> fifteen, twenty. Chris. John, do you want to kick us off with your protagonist <laughs> moments? <laughs> Damn it, I didn't know you'd moved to the end. Sorry. It makes more sense. <laughs> Stephen. <Yeah>, Stephen. <laughs> Stephen? <laughs> And um, certainly Mother's Milk has been um, sort of dismissive of Frenchie's relationship with the female, with Kimiki, and uh, with Kimco, and... Um, Kimiko. <laughs> and then she makes effectively her final mistake um, by giving a different story than Vogelbarmer at... Uh, 
Van Vogelbarmer. That's not his name. Jesus. Um, um, yes. Stop being a rapey butcher and get down off the roof. I love it. Exactly. <laughs> a rapey Santa, in fact, and not a rapey butcher. <laughs> All right, sorry. Stop being... What's happened to Chris? <laughs> He's stretching. Oh, well.